0: Discuss the U.S. choice to use military force in Afghanistan and Iraq. Why were these choices made? Were there other feasible choices at the time? Should we do this again in the future? Before the U.S. invasion in Afghanistan the country had been in a state of almost constant war for 20 years. In 1979 the Soviets invaded the country to support its communist government. Furthermore, 10 years later in 1989 the Soviet troops withdrew, and Taliban took over a few years later, enforcing their version of Sharia. And because they have sheltered to militants from terrorist groups such al-Qaeda it made Afghanistan an immediate target for attack by U.S. and international forces in the wake of 9-11. Nineteen of the hijackers connected to the 9-11 attacks were trained in Afghanistan. President Bush administrated a plan in the aftermath of the attacks to oust the Taliban from Afghanistan and dismantling al-Qaeda. Others contemplated actions in Iraq as well. When the Taliban leader refused to deliver al-Qaeda leaders to the U.S., they began to implement a plan for war. The invasion of Afghanistan was the beginning of the United States' war on terror. The question to ask about the invasion of Afghanistan was the war a necessity? This question must meet two tests. The first is about vital national interest, and the other is lack of viable alternative to the use of military force to protect those interests. In the wake of 9 11, the invasion of Afghanistan was a necessity as the U.S. needed to defend itself against the Taliban, however, now with a friendly government in Kabul, it has become a question of necessity. U.S. interests in Afghanistan includes making it difficult for al-Qaeda to mount operations that threaten the West, however, we can doubt the actual threat of the group as of 2020. A different choice that could be made was to strengthen the United States from the inside, instead of starting a war that has lasted nearly 20 years and costed taxpayers an endless amount of money. Furthermore, it is possible to argue that the war on terror has no end goal in sight, as the goals are quite elusive. It is also possible to question if invading a foreign country far away is even a question of national interest. With the ongoing peace talks with Taliban, this has shown that diplomatic methods were always a possibility. Doing this from the beginning could save thousands of lives and billions of dollars. In many ways this was a war of choice, not necessity, much like the former Vietnam War. Looking at the prelude to the U.S. invasion of Iraq, we go back to 1990. When Saddam Hussein's Iraq invaded Kuwait, a U.S.-led coalition was created to stop this. A swift defeat saw Iraq's retreat in 1991. Hussein still managed to hold power in the aftermath, suppressing uprisings. The United Nations implemented economic sanctions to hinder Iraq's aim to create weapons of mass destruction. In the wake of 9-11, the United States alleged that Iraq continued to possess and manufacture WOMD, a claim later proven false, and its support for terrorist groups like al-Qaeda, so Iraq once again became a priority. A U.N. Security Council resolution was passed, demanding Iraq to comply with more inspections, and the country appeared to comply with the resolution. However, President Bush later stopped seeking further U.N resolutions and deemed further diplomatic reasoning futile, giving Saddam Hussein an ultimatum by demanding he leave the Iraq in a short time. When he refused to leave U.S. and Allied forces launched an attack, facing little resistance from the Iraqi military on the way to Baghdad. The question around the invasion of Iraq was also about was as a necessity. Looking at the Gulf War in 1990, that very much was a war of necessity. By contrast, the invasion in 2003 was a war of choice. This was a massively ambitious, but unwarranted war as the United States had other viable options. As earlier explained, there was no evidence that Iraq still possessed and manufactured WOMDs, and more evidence of the country cooperating with the international community. Furthermore, influential countries like Germany, France and Russia objected to the build-up and escalation towards war. The US and UK chose to ignore the objections and fought a war that changed Iraq in such a fundamentally opposite direction of their goal, giving Iran major influence in the country. As neither the invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan can be considered wars of necessity, I argue that executing similar wars in the future do nothing but badly damage the target countries and international confidence in the US. Furthermore, it might work against US and its allies' interests and potentially lead to a less secure world. If state failure is the permissive cause of terrorism, piracy, and so on, should the OECD engage in counterinsurgency and nation-building in LDCs, even though its record of success is mixed? State failure, security and development challenges in those states are commonly linked since the concept was coined in the 1990s. States are considered failed when they are exhausted by internal violence to the point where the government cannot deliver functional politics to its people. One of the most important points of these politics are national security. If national security is provided, other goods can be created, such as upholding the law, healthcare, education and political elections. Violence and turmoil are synonym with a failed state, however other indicators may be a predatory government, criminal violence and loss of territory. The benchmark of a successful state is often measured by our usually Western countries. This short essay will discuss if the OECD should engage in nation-building in developing countries or failed states, even with a less-than-successful record. Nation-building is that a failed state is given assistance to develop government infrastructure, helping the civil society, conflict resolution and economic assistance. Many people argue that this process is a very slow one, evolutionary not revolutionary. It takes a long time and is a process that cannot be easily influenced from the outside. Historically, building a nation has taken many generations, if not hundreds of years. Today many new nations are in the process of rebuilding the nation and the social, cultural and political foundations. The difficulties of what we can consider failed states was that some of these nations were created and ruined by European colonialism, while others were separate people who were integrated into one state not based in a common identity. Nation building is important because of the theory that a strong nation can provide security for its people, and that building a state is important to create an integrated national community. Nation building often implies democratization, based on the fact that no democratic nation has ever fought a war against another, and that the foundations of democracy would bring peace. On the other hand, nation building might sometimes just be another name for external intervention or empire building. Intervention in the name of nation building can only be justified if the failed state is a cause of regional or world security problems, or human rights abuses to the extent that intervention based on international law is necessary. Successful nation building will depend on the people inside the state's borders. It needs democratic participation and people demanding rights. The U.S. leadership of the year 2001-04 believed that nation building in Iraq was up to the U.S. military. However, the military itself remained divided whether they should have been involved in peacekeeping, peace building, and nation building at all. The United States has learned many lessons, being one of the most active nation builders since World War II. Important factors such as a state's prior democratic experience. Level of economic development and social homogeneity play a huge part in how easy nation-building is. Furthermore, how much effort is put in plays an important part on the success of the mission. Building a nation is hard work. It requires enormous effort and resources of the parts involved. Furthermore, it requires a general agreement that the people in its country want the change at all. Looking at success stories like Germany and Japan post-World War II, it's possible to argue that nation-building is a great idea to pursue, as both countries turned into democratic and economic powerhouses on the world stage. However, in recent times there has been less success in countries such as Somalia, Afghanistan and some Balkan states. I argue that democratization went wrong in many of these countries because of reasons mentioned earlier, for example prior democratic experience in Afghanistan, level of economic development in Somalia and social difference in the Balkan states. As many failed states in need of state building are in most cases lacking one of these three qualities, it is hard to argue that OECD countries should involve themselves in state building.